uh, growing up, we used to say that if we could sing together, that maybe we could talk together. And if we could talk together, that maybe we could live together. And so there would be songs like, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And, and songs like, we are the world and we are the children. And, and although these songs had good intention, um, they carried no power. They didn't carry the power that the songs that we enjoyed this morning carry. Because when we sing songs that are about the God of grace, we acknowledge that this God of grace has gone on this wonderful rescue mission so that we, in fact, could be called the sons and daughters of the living God, not based on our own merit, right, but based on his grace. I'd invite you to turn with me, please, to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the heart of the Apostle Paul, and one of the great phrases that the Lord Jesus used while he was here upon the earth was the phrase, for him who has ears, let him hear. Jesus said that multiple times. Um, my mom is here today, so I have to be a little careful about what I say. But Jesus said, uh, for him who has ears, I want you to hear this. And I tried to unpack this and try to understand what exactly was he talking about when he said that. And I thought, well, does that mean that there's this kid who sort of has this deformed ear and can't really, right? It's not that, right? It's that he was going to be able to share out the message of God's grace and the message of the kingdom of God, and it was going to sort of fall on deaf ears. When I was in high school at Scotch Plains Fanwood High School, I had this social studies teacher, and when all the boys and girls, all the high school kids came into the class, for the most part, we just sat there and did the next period's math assignment. And he was just talking about explorers and talking about the Truman Doctrine or talking about Edison. And every now and again, you'd look up, is he yeah, he's still talking. Well, what exactly is he saying? Well, nobody really knows. All we heard was his voice, but none of it really resonated. Uh, sometimes when I'm home, uh, I'm writing an email upstairs, and I hear that vacuum cleaner, and I say to myself, what is that noise? Will you stop that noise? It's just like background noise. When the Lord Jesus said, for him who is ears to hear, he said, I want you to hear this. I want you to embrace this. And this morning, for all of us, I want to have ears to hear what this passage has to say, specifically to me, specifically to you. I want it to be very personal. And I want our hearts and our minds to focus in on what God is sharing with us here personally in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So the Apostle Paul shares out these verses in verse 7. He says, But we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. The Bible tells us that God has this tremendous treasure. That's what it says in verse 7. God's tremendous treasure. How does he package the treasure? You know, I'm thinking about that, and I say, you know, we have tremendous treasures. When you go to the jeweler and you get a diamond ring, I got a very modest diamond ring. The jeweler comes out with this tremendous box, this velvet box. The box is more impressive than the diamond. I say, look, you know, I... Go get a different box. I don't want, I don't like the one that you got. I just need like a cardboard one. We package things in very beautiful packages. God has a treasure. He does. 
So tell me, what is it that he is going to package this grand, distinguished, beautiful treasure in? Is it going to be the people who are rich enough or the people who are wise enough or the beautiful people? That's who it is that God is going to package the treasure in or the, the strong people, the accomplished people, the people whose offices are three offices above everybody else's office. No, that's not what's true in God's economy. He places the treasure into jars of clay, into broken people. He places the treasure into people who are filled with infirmities, people who are, have instabilities, people who have insecurities, people who are just like you and me. He says, but we have this treasure, Paul says, in earth and vessel, in this clay pot, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. The excellency of the power is of God. It's not about you. It's about him. And now Paul is going to identify some very daunting terms. Now, certainly he was under awesome obstacles in his life, right? He was, he, he, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was left for dead. Terrible things had happened to him. You stand by and you say, look, he's the great apostle Paul, and yet he, was, he wasn't spared of, from these things. It's true. He identifies four very powerful terms. They're not just for him. They're for us, too. He says, first of all, in verse 7, uh, verse 8, he says, we are hard-pressed. He says, we're hard-pressed. What is that? It means you're afflicted and troubled on multiple sides. I'm burdened. I'm stressed out. I'm burdened in mar my marriage, and I'm, I'm troubled about my health, and I'm stressed out about my job, and I sort of have this, this mortgage future and this bankrupt past. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. Personally, he says, there was this traveler, his name was Demas, and he, he sat with me, and he journeyed with me, he did miracles with me. And later in his life, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me. He loves the world. Paul says, there's this guy named Alexander the copper, copper maker. He caused me so much anxiety and sorrow, this Alexander the copper maker. So Paul says many times, he says, I'm hard pressed. And then he says this, he says, I'm perplexed. That's what he says in verse 8. We're perplexed. What is that? It means I'm puzzled. I don't, I, I don't exactly know where to go from here. I don't know what to do. You know, all these books about raising kids. I'm not sure which one to pick. They, they say different things. All of the strategies. Yeah, all the strategies. I'm perplexed. Sort of like if my life is, you think of it in, in terms of a crossword puzzle. Here I am again at four across to nine down. There is no answer to either one of them. And the same frustrations that I've had yesterday, I sort of seem to have today. Paul says, I'm persecuted. Okay, now if I step back and if I'm honest with myself, clearly I'm not persecuted like the Apostle Paul was. But I do know that if I take a stand for the Lord Jesus in this world as his disciple, that I am going to be labeled as some kind of an intolerant loser. Absolutely, positively. And then Paul says, and we're struck down. We're struck down. That's, that's what he says. We're struck down. And I think about that song that, that Simon and Garfunkel wrote called the boxer 
and, 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 and the lyrics go like this. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trade, and he carries the resemblance of every glove that laid him down or cut him until he cried out in his anguish and in his pain, I am leaving, I am leaving. I, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm struck down. I, I, I don't want to do this ministry anymore. I've had it. I'm at the end. And, and, and I don't want to do this relationship anymore. And I don't want to do this job anymore. I'm at the end. I don't know where to go. So that, I believe, is the posture of where the Apostle Paul is when he is sharing these four powerful words and where he's sharing this treasure that is found in this earthen vessel, this broken vessel. Now, this is not a testimony of the Apostle Paul. But rather, it's a testimony that our God gives grace and that our God can carry us right through the finish line. Do you believe that this morning? For whatever circumstances that it is that you are facing or whatever difficulties that are arising, that God's grace is greater than your past and that God's grace is greater than whatever tomorrow has to bring and that God can bring you across the finish line. Otherwise, friends, honestly, what we do is we sort of scurry around and we try to figure it out by ourselves and we, we just sort of put out whatever fire happens to be burning brightest at that particular time. And you crawl into bed and say, this is the best part of the day because nobody really has to bother me and hopefully I can sleep. Hopefully. So the Apostle Paul says, he says that this is going to be a testimony, not of himself, not of his circumstances, but that we serve a great God, we've been singing about that, who shines out of broken lives, who shines out of brokenness. Now, that always used to teach me that if you can um, share the New Testament doctrine or truth, can you pair it with Old Testament? So I'd like you to turn with me or swipe with me, if that's what you do, to Judges chapter 6, because I like this character a lot. The Bible teaches us in the book of Judges about these judges who didn't wear robes and sit on the bench, but the judges were saviors. And basically what happened was God raised up a people, ordinary people, with the exception of like Samson, right? Everybody sort of goes to him because he did these magnificent things and what wonderful Sunday school lessons about Samson. But, but for the most part, God is going to do tremendous things through ordinary people. And one of these people we find here is Gideon. And if you were going to ask yourself, is Gideon going to be afflicted? Oh, yes, he is. Is he going to be perplexed? Yeah. Persecuted and struck down? Yes, to all those things. So let's take a look at the life of Gideon here, if we can. And let's just try to understand a little bit about how God was going to carry him through the finish line. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no subsidence for Israel neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, 
Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here, but I sort of see Gideon as a farmer, as a hardworking guy who follows the rules. And, 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 and he would say, there's going to come a time that all of my blood and sweat and toil, that it's all going to be worth it because I'm going to bring this harvest to market and I'm going to make myself a lovely profit from it. I'm going to be able to feed my family and others and all of the energy of this work is going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. You just can't quite see it yet. Um, I'm a teacher. As a matter of fact, not too far from here. And I think of the favorite days that I have, you would say, oh, the favorite day you have is the last day of school. Well, actually, um, that, that's not exactly true. My favorite day is payday. I hope you don't think I'm too shallow when I share that out. I just love payday. It seems to be all worth it. We get paid on the 15th of the month. And so if the principal walks in and he says, John, I don't really like the lesson plan. I think to myself, I don't really care. It's payday. And if some mom emails me and says, well, I'm not really happy about, well, you know what? Too bad. It's payday today. Maybe tomorrow. Payday is so important to me that after school, I drive to that Dairy Queen. And I treat myself to a Dairy Queen. And if you were there, I'd buy you one also. Payday. I think about how Gideon was going to have a payday. And how all of the efforts and all of his work of the glorious harvest was going to be, uh, uh, was all going to be worth it. And he gets up on that bright, beautiful morning and he stands on his porch. And to his horror, to his horror, he sees them coming. Midianites coming. And the Bible says that they don't leave a green leaf. Now, honestly, friends, that's enough to crush a man. It really is. All of his energy and all of his work, you're talking about not being fair. Right? This is totally unfair. And what does Gideon do? He grabs his family and he makes a run for it. He leaves his property. He leaves it all. And all of his energy is just going to be, is going to be gone. It's, it's enough, really, to, to, to cripple somebody. It really is, if I can use that word. It really is. Now, it's important to notice, and it's important that we understand, that God allowed this to happen. Because in the early portions of the chapter, it says that the people went a-whoring after other gods. That they would not listen to God. And, uh, and, and you know the accounts of how God would send prophets, and that how God would send messengers, and how God would send different signals. And the people ignored all of those things until, I think it's in the book of Second Chronicles, God says, there was no other remedy that I had except to bring in these pagan nations. But in this particular account, we see that these Midianites came in and they devoured everything. Can I just take a look at this one verse again, verse 4? They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no subsistence for Israel, neither sheep nor oxen nor donkeys. For they would come up with their tents and, their, and, and, and they were as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished. Is Gideon afflicted? Yeah, he is. Is he per perplexed? <laughs> yeah, I say he is. Is he persecuted as he's chucked down? 
So Gideon makes a run for it. And when we pick up the account of what happens to him, the Bible tells us that he's going to be very honest. Now, I love him for this. He's going to be very honest because he's going to be paid a visitor. And we're going to find out, and you're going to meet me at the end, and you're going to share this. But he's going to be paid an, a visitor, an angel of the Lord. It actually is going to say in verse 14, then the Lord turned. I, I'm thinking that he's going to get this visitor, and this visitor is going to be this pre-incarnated Lord himself. A manifestation of the pre-incarnate Lord himself is going to come and he's going to visit Gideon. And where is Gideon? Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joaz the Ebiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, can you imagine that? Where is Gideon? He's just trying to get through the day. He's hiding food in a cave to pay, to, to give to his kids. Gideon is not thinking about any grand triumphal thing here. He's just running out the clock saying, you know what? I don't know about the promises. I don't know about the future. All I'm trying to do is just get through today. I'm just hiding. I'm really weary. I'm not exactly sure. And he's paid this visit. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you. Can you imagine that? The Lord is with you. And then the angel of the Lord says, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon is going to say, I am not a mighty man. And I have no valor. I am really at the bottom. Now, I don't know in your life when you've been at the bottom. Or maybe you're there now. But when you're at the bottom and there's a lot of despair, it's very hard to see the promises of God. It's very hard to come here and stand and sing these songs when it seems like everything around you is on fire. And Gideon is in a bad place. Now, the beautiful thing about it here is, is that he's very, very honest. He's very transparent, and he's very honest with, the, with this visitor that he gets. And I want our hearts to be very honest. He's going to ask a question. He says in verse number 13, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why? You see that? I got that circled in my Bible. If the Lord is with us, why? Why then has all this happened to us? If the Lord is with us, why am I in a cave? If I am like the, 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 the chosen son from Abraham's seed, then why are the Midianites in my, in, my, in my house right now? Why? Why am I living in this cave? It's a very honest question. And I really appreciate him for that. It's a good question. It's a sensible question. It's an honest question. If you watch over me, then why this diagnosis, God? And if you're good with that we've been singing about, then why is my family right now really hurting, God? Questions are really interesting to me. And I sort of have tried to, to um, um, revisit them. I remember that the Lord Jesus... In John's Gospel, chapter 9, is going to heal a young 
boy who is blind. And the apostles come and they ask a question. They say, Jesus, who sinned? Was it the boy who sinned? Is that the reason that he's blind? Or did his parents sin? That's the reason that he's blind. And Jesus said, neither the boy or his parents sinned, but this happened so that the glory of God could be manifested. He's going to do a great miracle. If the boy isn't blind, then there's no opportunity for the Lord Jesus to do such a great work. You remember in John's Gospel, chapter 11, a very dear friend of the Lord Jesus had died. And the sisters come out, and one of them comes out and says, I'm inferencing, but she says, Lord Jesus, if you would have been here, right? If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, where have you been, really? I mean, what, what exactly was so important that you couldn't be here just a little earlier? And he says to her, he's going to say to you, your brother is going to rise again. Oh, you know what? I know all of that. I know all of those safe answers. My brother is going to rise again. Yes, indeed. All of us are going to rise again at the resurrection of the last day. It gives him now a platform to be able to say, Perhaps the most beloved verse in all of the New Testament that I am the resurrection and the life. And he comes to the cave and a stone lay against it. And he says, take away that stone from the place where the dead man is lying. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. He's going to raise Lazarus. He's going to do it right now. Our friend Lazarus sleeps. I go that I might wake him up. What beautiful truths these are. Because the Lord, in this case, tarried. Or they're on a boat, and there's tremendous storms, and, 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 and he's asleep on the boat, and the apostles wake him, and they say, don't you care? We're going to perish. Don't you care? We're going down. And he gets up, and he rebukes the winds and the waves, and he says, peace be still. And then they all huddle together, and they say, who, who exactly is this that the winds and the waves obey him? So I'm going to suggest to you that if there, there is no very difficult circumstance, as in the cases, very, very honest questions, then there's no opportunity for us to see who, who this Lord of glory is. I want you to know that Gideon is very honest. He says, oh, my Lord, verse 13, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And if you're honest with yourself, that's probably a phrase or a verse that, that maybe you've had the opportunity to share out to. If the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Why am I in this set of circumstance right now? And then Gideon goes on, and where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. The Lord has delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God is going to use Gideon in a very powerful way. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord in this account does not answer all those questions. He doesn't. And every now and again, I'm having coffee, and you know, a brother will say, you know, one day, I am going to sit the Lord down, and I'm going to ask him about this. Why did he allow this to happen? One day. John, and I think to myself, I, I'm not exactly sure you're really going to do that. And I'm not exactly sure that in this account that the angel of the Lord gives the answers to Gideon. Why not? Well, I think that the, the, the reason for that is this. 
the reason for that is, is that Gideon is going to have the opportunity to do a beautiful thing here. He is not going to rally the troops. He is not going to go door to door or cave to cave. Gideon is not going to, to, to you know, show people how to fight. He's not going to meet with the Midianites and try to negotiate some kind of deal. What is it that Gideon is going to do in the midst of all of this? The answer is, is that Gideon worships. He worships. Now, that's a very powerful place for a believer to be, regardless of your set of circumstances. Look at verse 22. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. You see that? Gideon is going to worship. And a heart that worships is going to be able to catch a glimpse of who this Lord of glory is. And when you catch a glimpse of who the Lord of glory is, then all of the beautiful promises, they all are real in your heart and in your mind. That who can separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ? What exactly is the cause of all this worry or care? Is it, is it principalities or powers or, or thrones or dominions or, or height or depth? Or, or what is it? What exactly is the Goliath in your life and in my life that, that God can't handle, that, that God's not, not going to be able to deal with? Gideon worships. Now, in order to do that, you got to slow down. And practically, what I got to do is I got to slow down. Not because not I'm almost out of notes. But I got to slow down because usually when this crisis situations happen, I'll probably move right into a storm tomorrow. I don't even know it yet. But when these crisis situations happen, I sort of find myself rushing around just trying to... Gideon is going to worship. And when he worships, he catches a glimpse of who this Lord of glory is. That's probably the best takeaway that I can give for you today. And I guess I would ask you, what does worshiping look like to you? It doesn't have to be here in this building. It shouldn't just be here in this building. Having the opportunity to just thank the Lord for things in your life. It could be a form of worship. Just having the chance to, to say some of the names of the titles of the Lord Jesus is a form of worship. And look, as, as simple as what we tell the children, my Lord knows the way to the wilderness. All I've got to do is follow. All I've got to do is follow. That's what he's asked me to do. Now, that's hard, and I know that. But when you worship, you catch a glimpse of who this Lord of glory is. And I do believe that you are energized with the, with the passages that come to mind, that you can stand and say, echo the hymn writer and say, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner un condemned unclean, that he took my sin and my sorrow and he, he made it his very own. He knows all about my sorrow. And he bore the burden to Calvary. And there he suffered and died alone. 
when we worship the Lord, we catch a glimpse of who this Lord of glory is. And we unburden ourselves and acknowledge that he knows all about this. He knows all about this. So I, I would encourage you in the course of your day. Honestly, friends, for me, it's not in the morning. That's the worst part of the day for me. You know, did you get up at 545 to read eight chapters of the book of Revelation? No, I slept past my alarm clock. How's that? The morning is not my time. But there is time in the course of the day that I just want to pause. I'm not going to wait for the crisis situation. I'm going to pause and I'm just going to thank the Lord. I'm just going to thank the Lord. You know, last night, uh, uh, two nights ago, I had the chance to walk. Sometimes Alan and I walk. I had the chance to walk and reflect and just gather some of these thoughts. And I walked from my street, Evergreen Avenue, which is right within distance of where I grew up as a boy, Edgewood Terrace. And I walked right by that house. And I just stopped and I looked into, into that bedroom. The light was on. And I just thought to myself, you know, I'm just so blessed. I'm so thankful for all of the holidays that we enjoyed and friends that we enjoyed and safety that we enjoyed. And, 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 and sure, there were scripture times in there that we enjoyed. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that I had that opportunity that I took for granted, certainly, for all of those years. Having the opportunity to worship the Lord, it's a very powerful thing. And the Bible then tells us that Gideon, after he worships and he's focused spiritually, he is going to have the chance to get this plan. So what's the plan? The plan is, is that they're going to get their, their land back, but they're going to they're do it their way. That they're going to they're they're do it God's way. And, and so there's thousands of guys that show up for this. And, and God says, there's too many guys. Send them home. You got too many. And... and and you read the account later, like 20,000 of them just go home. So imagine like that, that family, that Israelite couple, you know, hugging, saying, okay, you're going to go out to battle, dear. You're going to bring the family name, dear. And within an hour, he, he walks back into the house. You know, where, what happened? Well, Gideon told me I drank wrong. I, I, I lapped the water the wrong way. He sent me home. And and she says, you, you couldn't even do this right. You know, you, I just don't get it with you. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of Israelites went home. There were 300 guys. That's all it was. And what did they do? They encircled their land. It was their, their given land. And the rallying cry was the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the idea was is that we're going to smash the clay pot and we're going to elevate the light. And then what? Well, then we're just going to wait on God. That's what we're going to do. And the Bible tells us that it was such a tremendous victory. It was all of God. It was all of God. So if we could, could we just go back to that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 piece? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because I do believe that the Apostle Paul had this in mind. For he says in verse 7, But we have this treasure. Right? If you know and love Jesus, you carry this treasure. 
you carry this glory. We have this treasure in earth and vessel. Broken as it might be, we have this treasure in earth and vessel that the excellency of the power may be of God and it's not of us. Now I need to say that in my mind almost every day. This is not of you. It's the excellency of the power. It is of God. It is not of you. It is not your energy. It's not your intellect. It's not your wealth. It's not your heritage. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of you. He's packaged this treasure in this broken pot. We are hard pressed. Yeah, that's true. And if you're honest with yourself and you're taking an inventory, that's true. We are hard pressed on every side. That's true. Paul says, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed. I'd say that's true. Puzzled. Paul says, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted. That's true. But we're not forsaken. We're struck down. But we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of the Lord Jesus may be manifested in our body. So friends, I don't know where you are in your Christian walk, right? I, I'm, I'm not sure where you are. I, I have enough issues just making sure I know where I am. But I do know that we serve a God who has not created us that he might mock us, but that he might elevate us in spite of our circumstances, whatever they might be. And that he uses people. That's the work that he's doing today. Otherwise, he would bring us right to heaven. The work that he's doing is that he's conforming me and making me more like the Lord Jesus. That causes a, a lot of issues and trials and, 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 and fires that we sort of have to work through and walk through together. That's God's great work in us today. It's God's great work. That's in us today. And so I do pray in this week that our eyes would be fastened more on the things of the Lord and that our hearts would pause to worship and that like the songwriter we could say, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and whatever that circumstance is, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give the increase and that you would use it in your Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your lovely son. We, we think about all of the difficulties, um, the hardships, uh, the brokenness. And, and yet, Lord, we know that you have placed this, this treasure in these, in these clay pots, in these earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of you and not of us. And so I, I do ask that you would bless this testimony and this ministry here in Fanwood. Lord, I do pray that you would help each one of us individually, individually as well as corporately, to worship you on a daily basis. That just like Gideon, we could catch a glimpse of who this wonderful Lord of glory is. For we would ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.